Hey everybody, my name is Alex and this is Lunchbox Radio. Now, before we get started, I wanted to encourage you to go listen to and watch, if you so choose. I will include a link to the podcast's YouTube page um, in the description of this episode and in the episodes going forward, especially the Sunday edition, because starting with the last Sunday edition, I'm going to be putting the Sunday editions on YouTube. It's not. It's going to look an awful lot like a streamer game thing, without um uh without without many visuals to start i am going to make it more complicated as i get my legs as i get my sea legs under me in terms of like what i want to do in video versus what i just do in audio um but i just thought that it would be a great thing to have the sunday editions which are much less single show focused have an extra way for you to listen to and experience the podcast. So definitely go check it out over on YouTube or right here in the feed, wherever you, in whatever app you're using to listen to me right now. Um, and that Sunday edition is all about the adaptation of horror tropes into shonen jump, into essentially the shonen jump formula and how that kind of makes shows kind of supercharged in a unique way. And on that note, let's jump right into what we're talking about this week, which is a little show that aired last season called High Card. I am so blind, still running, running out of sight in the night, a feeling goosebumps. You figure it out, a time on knock of a pain in the town Addiction is inflation, I need to miss it You really gotta be wrong New kid I gotta take a chance I gotta advance, you know who I am I'm a track star Just take a chance, play the game It sounds insane Who made a wild co-kaisen Something real Just think who I am I ain't I let my soul be wide and free I 
for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Now, one of the reasons why I want to talk about this show kind of as soon as it ended is because while it is getting a season two, woohoo, um, it it hasn't like gained a whole lot of traction. Like people aren't it hasn't seen a whole lot of like public traction out in like the anime fandom. There's not a whole lot of people talking about it. About the only person I've seen talking about it is one of the two anime boys that I follow over on YouTube, I um, have been watching, not listening to, but watching Otaku's Anonymous, which is hosted by MC Hammer, MC Hammer 23 from TikTok and YouTube, and Danny Mata from also TikTok and YouTube. And Danny Mata has really been, like, he's been on the high card train, really in the same way I have. And if you're listening to this and you're like, super into high card, like, no, that at the very least, me and him have been watching this and been like, yeah, and that first comes from its initial concept, and its initial concept is almost like, there's a superpower element, but the vibe of the thing is what I can best describe as Ocean's Eleven, Plus that movie with um, actually Kevin Spacey of all freaking people, um, Ocean's Eleven, Twenty One, with a little bit of a James of James Bob of James Bob James Bond mixed in for good measure, and but the premise of this movie is. Um, there's this magical deck of 52 playing cards all and every single card has some sort of um has some sort of superpower it can um so for example the and all the superpowers are wildly different 
So, for example, the two the two of spades that our main character that our main character has, um, basically is and the the cards ability kind of kind of correlates with their with the cards rank so where a two of spades is like just a, you yeah you have a superpower but not that good of a superpower the ace of spades is like this nightmare god card and we'll cover that in a second because one one of the characters in this show has the ace of spades but in any case um our main character finn has the two of spades and the two of spades looks like a normal playing card it's got a special decorated back that's a motif that's actually part of the show's branding which is really smart but the center spade has a bullet hole through it Almost as if it was, like, shot by a gun, but, like, the front of the card was glass. So it's got, like, a bullet and, like, the fraying of the glass kind of bullet hole. Actually, almost like you would shoot, like, a bullet hole would look like if it went through thin, thin concrete. And it's, a cool, and it's a cool card. But what it does is it gives the player, which is what they call the people who wield these magical playing cards... Just a gun. Just an infinitely reloadable fucking six-shooter gun. Like, he can just gun out of nowhere. And the cards, what the cards do is they ban it. They, like, burst into light. And then you get these, like, gloves. And all the gloves are different. And sometimes they're not gloves. Sometimes they're, for one of them, it's like an extended sleeve situation. It's like a fingerless um, mitten, almost, situation. And... He gets so he gets these like black fingerless gloves with like a cutout of a spade on the back of them and a gun. <laughs> and the first episode is really introduced it's not so much the you know, introduction to the world of high cards, quote unquote, but your introduction to this kid to this kid Finn's life. Um not sure how old Finn is supposed to be, but I get the sense that like he's in his he's in his like l- super late teens maybe early 20s he's 17 actually he's straight up 17 which means that he's like just on the cusp of being a actual legal adult but he is also you find out pretty quickly an orphan and he the kind of opening of this series it opens with him stealing a watch off of a rich guy stealing basically stealing a watch off of a, of a like off of this like fashionable businessman, and that's one of the things I want to touch here because I so few shows that aren't explicitly like shoujo fashion oriented shows, and what, what I mean by those is the perfect examples are things like your Paradise Kiss, your Nana shows that like from the jump have a fashion aesthetic they're pushing. Both of those are hilariously and interestingly Ayazawa joints but you get my point but very few shows take a real put a real purpose behind putting characters in their clothes and like demonstrating their clothes are something of importance other than just to assist their character design and that's a fine line that you have to walk because 
generally the best characters you want to, the characters you want to look the best are the main characters. So if you're going to have like a kind of standardized design of like a uniform, you want it to suit each you want to suit each character really well, but you want to suit the main characters the best. And I think that High Card gets there in a really interesting way. And part of the way it manages to do that is this this show has an awareness that a it's set in a fictional Italian country essentially, um, and what I mean by fictional Italian country is it's not like fictional Italy, but it's got strong Italian vibes. Like the all, m most of the main cast wears suits, just like they just wear different colored suits, and like not like gray or black, although there there is a character who's a woman who wears a gray suit. Um, we'll get to it in a second, because she's the one who has the, the ace of spades. But, like, Finn wears a yellow suit. And he, wear, he wears a yellow suit, with, he wears a yellow, I would call it a performance suit, because it's got performance patches on the sides under his arms, which is an interesting look. Um... His his partner Chris, I believe it's Chris Redgrave is the guy's name, wears this like dark red suit with a like purple sock striped shirt and a matching red tie. Um, the the like the head of the crew, um, Leo wears a like dark purplish blue suit. And it has these two lion lion breastplate pins with um, almost like door knockers on them, on on his suit. And then there's another character named um, named VJ, and VJ wears a green suit. So what I'm saying here is that they chose a motif. For the main characters, and this is why I said it's got strong James Bond vibes. It's got strong Ocean's Eleven vibes. It's got strong. It's got strong Hollywood movie gambling heist vibes. If that makes any sense, because it's clearly pulling from the style of those of those things, which is really interesting to see in anime because. Those movies are so specific. It, like, you can pull bits and pieces out of them. You can see bits and pieces of them in other movies. For example, the um, scene where they're in... I believe they're in Korea. in um, Or they're in an underground casino in Seoul. In um, the first Black Panther. Has a lot of James Bond vibes. Until it turns into a Marvel chase scene. Through, through the city of Seoul in the middle of the night. Um, but... It's like you like when you see it, you know you're not seeing a James Bond movie. This borrows just a little bit more, and it feels just a little bit more in that direction. And it's got like there's a secret agent like tinge to it as well that helps it. Um, but so we start with um, our main character Finn, and you find out that he is that he's a, that he's a that he's an orphan. And he's part of a, and he, and he technically lived, his technical home is an orphanage called, I think, like, Sunnyside Orphanage. 
And he's about to turn 18, which means he's about to have to live by himself. And actually, technically, I think he does live by himself, but keeps showing up <laughs> at the orphanage. And, like, the guy who's his, like, father figure is like, why the fuck are you still here? <laughs> you Like, you should, be, you should be moving on with your life. Like, I want you to, like, go experience life. Don't worry about us. We'll be fine. But the thing that Finn finds out is that the orphanage is being bought by a corporation that is going to turn it into luxury condos and... He's got a real save the orphanage vibe to him at that point. And he gets this bright idea of that he can go and he can rip people off in, like, the... And actually, I wouldn't necessarily call this Italy now that I think about it. Because what what fits... What the city that they're in fits best is actually probably Barcelona. And I've been to Barcelona, and that the reason why I'm saying this is the reason for that is Barcelona is a big is a is a big fucking Spanish city. But what you don't really realize until you've been to Barcelona is that a gambling is super legal there, and b Barceloneta, the like beachside section of Barcelona, feels like a cheapo Atlantic city. Uh, at points, because there's a... Like, I, I remember being down there in the middle of the night, and there was just a big old fucking casino. Like, you had to show your ID to get in, but it was just a big old casino that you could go in. You could just go gamble. Like, I would just... And people were. And there's a... And in the first episode of this show, Finn is trying to rip off people at a casino so he can get more money to save the to save the to save the orphanage to save his orphanage and he gets entangled with all these characters who are players and that's the shows um let me see if I can I can get more characters here cuz I'll meet them um but who are these characters the player characters are um are characters who who have these magical playing cards and who use them and when they use them they just say play and it bursts into light and they get gloves and some kind of superpower. The first guy he, he encounters is this guy who I think I forget what suit he has. But he you he's only alive for the first episode. Oh, um his name is um is Launchman Lucky. And Launchman Lucky has a, probably like the seven of... Probably the seven of hearts. or Not seven of hearts because um, Chris had that. Um, but he has a card that makes him like... Almost like Mr. Magoo-esque Lucky. Like it's like the luck is... Luck is so on his side that nothing bad can ever happen to him. And that leads to this like hilarious... Pretty cool... Scenario in which, like, people are trying to kill him to, like, get his card at one point, and they just can't because just everything goes wrong all the time to everyone but him. And he's being, and eventually he's being pursued by this guy named, um, Bobby Ball. And Bobby Ball is part of, um, the, the Klondike. Syndicate or the Klondike, um, 
or, or the Klondike family, which is a prominent mafia family in the city, and is also trying to collect all of these magical cards. And when I tell you what his superpower is, it, it will sound dumb. But when the show uses it, it's terrifying. And um, actually, um, Danny Mata also gives the same pitch every time he just, before he describes it. It's about 2.42 and 19 seconds p.m. And he... So he uses a... I don't know that one. He uses a... He, his card allows him to turn, thing, to turn anything he touches, living or other... Living or not living into marbles. And when he turns things into marbles, he can also fire them like he's shooting a BB gun from his hands. So he can just, like, create infinite ammo and just flick them at you and kill you. It's terrifying. And it becomes terrifying. And at some point, um, Finn is trying to deal with this and Chris Redgrave shows up. And Chris Redgrave has the nickname of the Immortal Lady Killer because he has the Seven of Hearts, which basically makes, when it's in play, makes him immortal. Just makes him immortal. And so he just, like, thinking into this big old drag-out end with a giant burning car crash of a fight. <laughs> which Chris is like, you're not gonna win, dude! And the end of the first episode is Chris and... Finn pointing a gun at each other, and that's your in, that's your intro into this world. And the rest of the show is not just about collecting the cards or dealing with these different players who show up. It's once again the people who use the, these magical playing cards, but it's it starts to get into the politics behind how the cards exist it starts to get into you know who's after the cards and why and what people's motivations are both main characters and side characters and it one of the things that i think the show does really well is it doesn't just straight up removes cards from play so a problem that happens with these gotta collect them all like superpower item thing is once it's taken out of play it's taken out of play like you can't the only once it's taken out of the hands of other people the only person who can play it is your main character or your main cast so what they kind of do is they there's a bunch of people with cards that they just don't bring in either because they can't like, a member of the Klondike family who can just straight up, like, telekinesis things into into you um, by hurling them into you. Or, or telekinesis control you. Um, her card basically gives her friggin' telekinesis. Or there's another character later, um, let me see if I can't find her name, who has a card that basically allows her to connect two things. Either connect herself to you, or connect you to another thing or person permanently. And it doesn't go away until she le until she decides that you're good, that it doesn't need to happen anymore. She's the, she, I think, I think the, her name is Chelsea. 
And they don't just don't bring Chelsea in. Like Chelsea eventually goes to work at the bar they hang out at after work. And like they're just deep like, oh no, you're fine. Like we'll ask for your card nicely when like we get the rest of the cards, but we're not gonna deal with you until then. Because you're not like blowing up large portions of the city. You're not like these dumbasses who were setting fire who like used the four of the four of hearts to cause to do arson all the time. Like, there's bigger fish to fry than, like, a girl who's just trying to make her way in the world and now has a superpower to kind of be able to help her do that. And so... And also that the whole episode in which they introduce her, they have this hilarious... They have a hilarious Instagram equivalent that plays into the show and, like... She's like, how the fuck do you guys keep finding me? She's like, what the fuck do you keep posting where you are on Instagram, you dumbass? And she's like, oh, I am a dumbass. That, that's my fault. That, that, that's on me. But leave me alone, please. And so, they have this, they, A, have a cast that, kind, that grows slightly, but B, each card has its own set of rules. Each card has its own sh- has its own variants of stuff it, of things it does. So, for example, I want to talk about now about the highest suit about the highest suit card we've seen in the show by the by the end of episode one, and that is Wendy's card. Wendy is the um is a is the only female member of high cards of of the only female member of high card. Who you're, who is in the main, like group, anymore? Who you're introduced to at first? And Wendy is just kind of like, she's just kind of normal. She seems kind of normal, but then you learn about her backstory and you realize that she's Japanese. That a she's Japanese, which makes her unique in this show because most of the characters are broadly, probably from Spain or whatever this fictional country is from this fictional country and city is most likely Spain. Once again, the Barcelona, the Barcelona casino, Las Vegas district being a thing. Um, and you find out that like her father was one, was a player. He was a, he was a, he had one of these playing cards and the card he had was the ace with the ace of spades and the ace of spades basically gives you um what's the name of the basically gives you this show's version of Psyka from Durarara. And if you're not aware of what that means, it's a cursed sword that like possesses its owner. Basically. And so Wendy, the like you know, member of High Card, is totally manageable and she's like and her name's Wendy Sato, so like it full on. And this show has has people have names that are that are affiliated with nationality. So like BJ's last name, BJ is very clearly from probably from India. His name is VJ Kumar. Um, but um, Wendy's Wendy Sato, it's just kind of like. She's just doing her best, man. Like that, they they show this like very funny, um, 
scene of her trying to get to work on time and everything goes fucking wrong and so she's like five minutes late and she's pissed and then like she straightens up the next day by the end of the episode by the end of her like explanation episode and she gets to work and she's fine she like does it perfectly but her card the ace of spades once again produces essentially a version of psyche and when she puts her card into play you notice at first that she doesn't she doesn't draw her sword. She doesn't draw the sword. And you and like the show calls it, the show shows that and it very clearly shows her using the sword still in its scabbard like it's a kendo like it's a kendo sword. Like it's like a, just a uh like a boken or a, something like of that nature. And it's odd. And in the flashback you see like the her father says like do not, like, if you do not use this card unless you're ready for it, and if you do use it, try not to draw the sword, it will eat you alive. And you don't really understand what that means until she draws the sword, because the story makes a, has another card, has another player show up that makes her need to. And then you meet who the entire show only refers to for the first, like, couple minutes. For the first couple seconds she's on screen as LNP. And somebody's like, oh, fuck, LNP is here. And then BJ's like, oh, okay, somebody go find Chris. Somebody just, like, somebody go get the immortal dude. He's the only one who can deal with her. And LNP, and... and Finn is like, wait, who the fuck are you talking about? Why is Wendy being so fucked? And they're, and they're like, oh, um, LMP stands for love and peace. And love and peace is essentially a crazed, horny as shit version of Wendy that wants to fuck everything to death. It's hilarious. And her way of expressing love is by cutting you, is flaying you like a fish. It's hysterical. And she's just insatiable. All she wants to do is fucking kill people. But also, because she, it's an ace card, she's basically indestructible. Like, she just, like, they show it later on in the, um, in the... In the finale, in the finale of the of the show, like she shows up again, and somebody throws a goddamn minivan at her, and she cuts it half. Like it, you are not win. Like the the point of love and peace is you do not win against love and peace. Love and peace saves the day, baby. <laughs> and the only person who is really prepared to deal with her is Chris. Is Chris? Because he's immortal. So as soon as he shows up, she's just like, Ah, oh, yeah, the infinite meat is here. I love you. Come here so I can stab you. <laughs> and Chris is like, Ah, like, oh, god damn it. Fine. Have your way with me, you dumbass. Just don't slice my gloves because I'll die. <laughs> and she like obliges. Until Finn, until Finn, I think, shoots her in the leg to like snap her out of it. But, so, in, the, in that particular episode, in that particular storyline, 
you see the way all these cards play off of each other or can play off of each other and how the whole deck itself is kind of like this balancing game of like yes you can exist as like an as like a badass psychotically lust driven sword woman who wants to kill everything but we've come up with a counter and it's this dude who's immortal <laughs> and lots of stuff is lots of ink and words have been spilled and said about power systems in anime but sometimes just like the core concept of like okay we've got 52 cards we want to give each of them superpowers how do we play this how do we do this so it's so there are puzzle pieces that we can play around with in a story as opposed to having to be a whole po universal power system that will go on forever and ever and ever and ever. Like, this show is not concerned with creating something like Nen from Hunter x Hunter. It's concerned with creating powers that can play off of and counter each other in the narrative story it wants to tell. And whether or not you see all 52 cards is kind of irrelevant. There are, there's, like, there's powers for cards that you, there's powers for cards you have not seen. There's cards you've seen their powers. There's cards where you haven't seen their powers. You've seen all duration. And you, there's also cards you haven't seen and you know you haven't seen because the deck is a standard 52 deck of cards. That you don't, like, you haven't seen them and you have no idea deal what their powers are because the suits aren't really related like the seven of hearts it's a perfect counter to the ace of spades in many ways but on the power scale that makes no sense I, I believe and I think that like Leo the um the head of high the like commander of high card is I think his is seven of diamonds, and basically what his card does is it allows him to spend to spend money, like real world money, to generate something of equal value. Basically, he can like Amazon buy things out of thin air, and so what you see him do <laughs> all the time is he just has just buckets of cash because in this show's world. He's running high card because he's been put in charge of high card because he's a member of this country's royal family who technically owns the 52 cards with superpowers and they were scattered to the wind in the very in the very first seconds of this show and now they're trying to get them all back. Um or at least get them all in the hands of people who, like, won't fucking murder everybody. <laughs> um, and so, like, he's, he is actual royalty. So he just has, he just has unlimited funds. He just has, he has country amounts of funds. And so when he uses his card, there's a whole, like, there's a, there's just always scenes of, like, BJ, like, shows up with a fucking briefcase full of cash and throws it at him, and then he plays his card to, like, get the rocket launcher or some bullshit. And just, like, it... 
the whole show, while certainly not perfect, and while certainly ha it has just like... It has in many ways the same kind of pitfalls that something like Tiger and Bunny might have, actually. Um, and actually, it feels kind of the same quality level of Tiger and Bunny, if that makes any sense. But it has this playfulness with its concept that lets it, that A, lets it tell the story it wants to tell. And that story, yes, eventually, I think, doesn't hang together as well. It the story starts off giving out giving all the giving all the characters like basically giving like a character an episode going going on like you, you get an episode devoted to Finn you get mo all the episodes involve Finn you get an episode devoted to Leo and what his deal is you get an episode devoted to Chris and what his day is and what his deal is you get an episode devoted to Wendy and what and what her like malfunction is you don't get one devoted to VJ, and there's other characters like um, like the old the old man who is like who's like who who is um, Leo's assistant. You don't get much insight into, um, and that's part. And I think one of the reasons why they did this was that I would bet they knew pretty quickly. We're getting a season two, or this was always planned to have a season two because this was not paced like it was supposed to be. It the finale to this season was not the finale to the show. It was definitely the finale to the season. It introduced a mechanic, used that mechanic in the plot of the show, and then it was done. Now that mechanic will exist for the rest of the show. But in the way that it was used for the final episode, it won't be, it, like, it, it's not, that doesn't seem like it will be a threat in the same way again. But because they wanted to do that, because they, it was clearly a story that they wanted to tell, and they weren't going to take 24 episodes to do it, they were going to take 12 episodes to do it, they weren't going to do a double season, they were going to do a single season... It felt a little rushed at the end, and it felt a little, um, felt a little, it just felt a little odd. But, the other thing about this show that I really, um, the other thing about this show that I really liked was, it has, it has a really, it has a really great opening that really, drives it's the style of this that this show has home because and this is and the opening is really where I get the like Ocean's Eleven spy craft kind of vibe because it has that kind of Ocean's Eleven 1960s era film cuts where it's like dividing the screen in three and showing three different things on the screen at, at a time um it's got a great it's got a great it's got a great opening song, but the opening song feels great, probably in concert with the visuals, which lots of people love OPs. Lots of people love anime OPs. 
but very often the song just kind of whips and the and the opening yes does justice to that song but it like the thing you remember the most is usually the song and necessarily the opening where when they blend together perfect when they blend together really well you get an anime op like high cards where high cards op is showing you the kind of like the dot the like smooth james bond-esque 1960s spy drama-esque style that this show has when i i'm a dude who collects watches now like i it's just what i do i'm wearing a um i'm wearing a orient um neo 70s watch which is a very specific weird thing and i'm and i'm also wearing a very specific odd reference number of that watch which like i posted this thing on watch forums on reddit and people were like what the what the what the fuck did you find a fucking watch with two acid yellow hands on the sub dial what are people doing out here yo i'm like i don't know i just like the watch man um, and also I have like, I have clothing and I'm like 40 watches, but, um, so like, I, I'm a appreciator of good style. I'm appreciator of fashion, all that stuff. This is a fashionable show. Like the, and the opening knows that it, it shows you the bits and pieces of like what it looks like to live a, like to basically live as a stylish man. It like shows you it had multiple different types of wristwatches you can wear from dress watches to sport watches to like watches you would wear if you wanted to show off, blah 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 blah. It has it has close ups of suits and close ups of cars and then it introduces you kind of to each of the main cast of characters, each of the main cast of high card characters. But what's really interesting about this is like I said before this show isn't content to just give you a cast of characters and say they're all one nationality, they're all Japanese, they're all whatever. Because the reality is, is that in most world-class cities at this point, and world-class cities are like, are certainly like Barcelona, they're like London, they're like Tokyo, they're like New York, they're like Paris. The people who you could gather in that city are not all of the same ethnicity. They're not all from there, not all even from that country. So you have a character like VJ who is from, who is from, just straight up from another place. Like he, he may have grown up here, but he is, he is racially different than everybody else, than everybody else in the cast. And then later on, and where they really drive it home. And they do that the same thing with um like Finn's last name is not like Leo's last name, Leo is Leo's last name is Pinnacle, which is like the which is the name of the car company, the the fictional car company they all work at. Chris's last name is Redgrave. Finn's Finn's last name is Oldman, like Gary Oldman. It's wild. And then, of course, Wendy is Wendy Sato. And later on, you meet a character who used to be part of High Card. And she's just this kick-ass older black lady. And it rules. And you see you see her when she's younger in a flashback sequence. And, like, you're like, oh, 
No, they were just hiring the best people for the fucking job. In every way, shape, and form. This rules. And... Lots of manga creators, lots of anime creators have talked about the importance of including African-American characters in their work. But in lots of ways, that's that's harder to do than you'd think because just the the homogeneity of Japan as a country and as a culture, like... you don't, you, one of the things that we take for granted in America, or if you're from, or even if you're some, from a place like um, Paris, if you're listening to this Paris, which I literally know people listen to this in Paris. I've, I I see the numbers, yo. Um, is that like, you don't realize how same everybody can look until you're in it. And... And how same everybody can feel until you're in it. And they do a good job of showing you of showing you characters who are clearly from this version of anime Spain. And like you see that in Leo, you see that in Finn, you see that in Chris. Or even a character like Bobby or Lindsay, the um owner of the orphanage or any or a number of other characters but they also do a good job of showing you characters who maybe were born in this city and grew up in this city but are but like are not culturally from here like bj like um even chelsea chelsea feels fucking american like she feels like an american it's wild um like uh i they don't have her listed. They don't have the um, older black lady. They don't have the older black lady listed. Um, I don't see her listed. I don't see her name here. But um, the like that that character. She seems like oh she came from somewhere else. It's like she is not from here. She's too cool to be from here. This rules. And that's a really, that's a really hard thing to pull off, to like, to pull off and do it kind of seamlessly in a way that you don't, like it doesn't call attention to itself, but when you realize it's there, you're like, oh no, that, that makes sense in a way. Okay, it's like, it, it's. Probably the next best place I could point to that does it is a show like um as always black lagoon black like the characters in black and actually um no guns life which is of the same kind of ilk as black lagoon in many ways also does this pretty well but black Lagoon does it kind of the best black lagoon is very clear that all the cast members are from different parts of the world you know and they're from very specific parts of the world you look at dutch he's he, and you see, you find out later that he's that he's, I believe, French military, or something. He's military in some way, um, from from a country not, I believe, definitely not American. You look at um, you look at Benny, and Benny is a college kid from Florida. Is a college kid from Florida, from like a tech school, 
I know a kid who looks like I I knew you to know a guy who looked like Venny. You look at Revy. Revy is a Chinese street punk from the streets of New York City, circa like the late late nineties, early aughts, when it was still fucking dirty and rough. You look at Rock. Rock is very clearly, and he uses it to his advantage eventually. In for all intents and purposes, he's Japanese. He's a Japanese salary man. A Japanese wage slave, essentially. And the, that show, a lot of that show has to do with playing those things off of each other. But in its key moments, it's just them existing in this in a world that moves around them. And this is less like that. It it doesn't it doesn't nail that so perfectly, but it does use it does use its diversity to its advantage and the diversity makes the world feel more real it feels less it it's an element of reality that's injected into this into this all intents and purposes fantasy story where magical playing cards with that give you superpowers exist so it, it it becomes a it becomes an advantage that the show can play off of and play with in different moments and in different ways. And you see it also gives you these like the characters have different personas. Like VJ is a real cool customer. Wendy is kind of it's a little jittery and nervous constantly. Um like Finn and Finn and Chris are like are basically are almost like a comedy duo at certain points. And I want to talk about the promo art for this show here because it it's fucking rules. So the poster you'll probably have seen is basically a poster that looks like a mo- that looks like a Marvel movie poster like it's it's a it's a mountain of people with Finn in his yellow suit in the center and you see his you see his card like flipped like kind of off center below his arm as he's pointing a gun like diagonally out and you see all these other characters using their cards powers and you see the cards denoted by each of them but the posters I want to talk about are the, the promo posters that they released where it has all the members of high card all the current members of high card listed like shown in like slices above it and then below it you see Finn you see them all working at a at the card at the luxury car at the custom luxury car dealer they all work at as an actual real front business like they sell cars in this show it's very funny um and they and you just see and you see Finn wiping wiping the floor because he's a newbie and that's his job <laughs> technically like technically he makes all this money not Yes, for actually going out like on missions and collecting these cards. But he also has a real job. <laughs> that, can't, that isn't just a front for like extra governmental operations. 
which I really appreciate because so often these shows they just like drop the premise pretty quickly. But no, by the by the end of the show, like they're still like they're still pinnacle. They're still the the like custom luxury car dealer. It that has not changed. <laughs> and they do the by the end of the show in the beginning of the show Finn is a new hire and he is assigned to and Chris is assigned as his um mentor, so they're partners and you get the sense that everybody except for um Leo has a partner, has like a partner in crime. So like um VJ and Wendy are cl- like clearly partnered up and they go on missions together all the time. Chris and Chris and um Finn are partnered up constantly. And then it's just VJ and then it's just Leo kind of doing whatever the fuck he feels like. Um but the way they because Chris 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 is punished for reasons. I'm not going to give you the reasons. Go watch the show. It's 12 episodes. You could do it over a week. If you did two episodes a week, a day, you'd be fine. Um, but, it, like, his punishment for plot reasons is they figure out a way to make him a new hire again and that they fire him and rehire him without firing Finn. So he becomes Finn Jr. <laughs> by the end of the show. And it's this fun, like, hilarious office snafu that they pulled that is totally viable and totally like a thing you could technically do and really shitty and it's really funny <laughs> but um the long short of it is that this show is while it is a little underwhelming from the script perspective it offers a whole hell of a lot it's pretty unique in its in its approach to its premise, not only in its premise, but in its approach to its premise, and in kind of the fun it lets itself have with it. Like, even even the bad guys in this thing, even the quote-unquote bad guys in this thing, feel like they're having fun. Like, Bon Klondike, the head of the Klondike family, you don't know what car he has. You know it's fucking terrifying, because you, you see the aftermath of it at one point in the show, and you're like, what the fuck car is that? Jesus. Um. He just kind of wants to be left. The government to leave him the fuck alone. <laughs> like, you realize pretty quickly, like, oh, he's not going to fight them. They, like, he doesn't want to fight people. He just wants, like, to be a powerful mob boss and be left alone. Like, that seems pretty normal for a mob boss. Like, he's not, he... He did not seem out of the realm of possibility for what if mob boss. And and you kind of realize in the moment that like that scene happens like oh that's why he's doing all this. He's doing all this so he can get the cards out of the hands of the people in charge and then he can just fuck off and like control what like the mafia assets that he would control anyway but um the long and short of it is, is that this is a fun show it it it's it, i think it's worth your time it's got a phenomenal end it's also got a phenomenal ending sequence with all the characters basically 
singing along to a song to the ending theme in the car in a car in like very in very states of like business attire and it's really fun it's just really fun so um definitely check it out it's available on crunchyroll literally right now it's it's not dubbed it, the one thing i will say is it's not dubbed i don't think it's ever going to be dubbed unless it gets uber popular which i really hope it does because it deserves it it's It's so weird and so unique and, like, has such, has such rarely attempted in anime vibes of, like, the James Bond vibes and the, tw the 21 vibes and the Ocean's Eleven vibes to it that it's just fun. Like, like, the, like... Th little bits and pieces of all of those make a fun thing, it turns out. Who, who'd have sunk it? And on that note, if you liked this episode, new episodes of the podcast come out every Thursday and every other Sunday. Every other Sunday will be the Sunday edition, which, starting from last Sunday edition, will hopefully always be also accompanied by a video version of the podcast, which you can check out over at the link that will be included in the description of this podcast. So if you like the Sunday editions, um, definitely subscribe to that, um, to that, to that YouTube channel and new episodes, new Sunday editions will post every, will post every Sunday twice a month. Um, so definitely check that out and subscribe to the podcast here if you like the whole podcast, if you like stuff like this and the Sunday episode, but you don't feel like you need to watch the Sunday episode. Um, I'm just trying, I'm trying to give people ways to, ways to engage is what I'm trying to do. So if you really like the podcast, you can also engage by following the podcast over on Instagram. And that Instagram handle is Lunchbox Radio underscore podcast over on Instagram. Um, I post anime junk on there. I also post like anime related junk on there. Like when I went to the um to the art to the art opening for um the Inukai art opening for the Japan Society, I posted what I saw there in as a reel, so you can definitely go check that out. Um, but until next time, I have been Alex, and this has been Lunchbox Radio, and I will talk to you on Sunday. Well,